When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Beyond the Scenes. Look, this is the Daily Show podcast where, like, how can I explain it? Okay, like, you remember when you was a kid, you was watching something you didn't have no business watching, and then you thought you heard your parents coming home? Then you look out the window, and it's your neighbors pulling into the driveway. So you got another extra hour to watch all the stuff you wasn't supposed to be watching. That's exactly what this podcast is, baby. It's a little unexpected overtime to get to the bottom of issues from the best segments from The Daily Show. Today, we're tackling a very, very big issue. What happens when a state bans abortion? Give it a clip, producer man. What happens when a state bans abortions? Do women suddenly go... Well, if the state legislature wants me to have this baby, who am I to say no? No, they don't. Instead, many women who want an abortion will be forced to go find one where it is legal. What we know is when you ban abortion, it doesn't mean that people stop needing access and that people won't go to more lengths to get the care that they need. Clinics in less restrictive neighboring states have been inundated with phone calls from Texas women seeking services. Comprehensive women's health has been inundated with calls from women who live in Texas but want to come here, even though it's located hundreds of miles from Texas, in Denver, Colorado. And it's not just Colorado seeing an increase. Even with a 24-hour waiting period, this Shreveport, Louisiana clinic is booked at least three weeks out. What could happen is that more women may may decide to travel to Mexico, what is like kind of the opposite of what used to happen. Like a lot of women used to travel to the U.S. to have a safe and legal abortion. Ooh, this is a live one, folks. We're right in the thick of an ongoing battle over reproductive rights in this country. And to help us figure out exactly where we are and where we're headed, we have two wonderful, wonderful guests. Daily Show senior producer, Allison McDonald. First and foremost, hello to you and good day, madam. Hello, Roy. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. It's been forever since I've seen you. I, I feel like I've seen you once since we've gotten back in the building. And it might not even been you, but the, the hallways are very long. I'm not sure. It's a scary place, the new building. <laughs> And also joining us on the program, right from the heart of the matter, down there in Texas Toastland, down there in Waterburger land, OBGYN <laughs> and Texas abortion provider, Dr. Gazala Moyeti. Dr. Moyeti, how are you doing today? Howdy, y'all. I'm doing good. Thank you I'll for having me. I'll put a little y'all on it. I'll put a little y'all on it. Hey, howdy, y'all. I'm here. <laughs> so, Allison, let's let's start with you. Let's set the table for the people who have not seen the entire piece. What's going on in Texas and why did we want to tackle it? Well, what happened in Texas when we were on hiatus, it all happened. And so we had a little bit of time to kind of get our shit together and prepare it. But essentially, in September, a law banning nearly all abortions went into effect in the state of Texas. So SB8 is what the law is known, and it bans basically all abortions. It bans abortions starting at six weeks and makes no exceptions for rape and incest. And just for kind of context, 85 to 90 percent of women in Texas get abortions after six weeks. So that's we're talking like this is the strictest ban in the country. Um, and most women do not know that they're pregnant at six weeks. That's not even a thing. So the thing that's different about this law is that it's designed to get around the courts. So usually 
when an abortion rights advocacy group, when a state like Mississippi bans abortions at 15 weeks or something like that, which bans like that have been tried to pass all across you know, the country. They have passed, but they haven't been able to go into law because essentially abortion rights advocates, they sue like a state official and the courts block it because it's in violation of Roe v. Wade. But in this case, the Texas law was specifically designed to avoid that from happening. So what happens is this law actually bans public officials from enforcing this law. It deputizes private private citizens to essentially be the enforcers of of abortion in their state. So oh. they enforce the ban. So they can Just sue abortion militias. Abortion bounty hunting is essentially what this is. And so any private citizen in any state, by the way, not just Texas, can say this person's had an abortion. They can sue that person and get $10,000. So the Supreme Court, kind of in the dead of the night, this is a conservative court, said we're not going to block it. We're going to allow it to go from now on. So it's unclear kind of what's going to happen with this, specifically with this Texas law, because... We don't really know yet whether the court is going to strike it down. But this is all happening in the context of the court taking up abortion in a bigger way later on. And, of course, it's like a now conservative court. You're saying that people can there's legal ramifications to this law. The private citizens can inject themselves into the into the issue. Any private citizen can say, I saw this woman getting an abortion. She got in an Uber and, you know, she's getting an abortion. And then that person gets $10,000. It's a reward. Well, so they, but they can't sue. The important thing is they can't sue the person getting the abortion. They sue providers or anyone that helps them get the abortion. Right. Anyone who aids and abets an abortion, which so it's kind of unclear what that even means. So, well, yeah, Dr. Morietti, d- define that. D- did I help by driving you to the clinic? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be driving. It could be helping to pay. It could be helping them get the appointment. It's unclear. Aiding and abetting is a criminal like thing, and this is a civil procedure. So who knows what that means? And how are doctors supposed to be able to protect themselves from that type of stuff? How, are you able, how can you even disprove the allegation, more importantly? Right. We have no idea. There's no precedent for the law, so we don't know. It's just like, we'll see when it happens. Hey, Roy, Venmo me $400. Okay, and then you take the money and go get an abortion. I didn't know that that's what you were going to, and automatically I'm 10K in the hole, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, the law says that even if you didn't know you were helping or that it was illegal. Come on now. (laughs) Come on now. So then what are what are some of the ripple effects of this law thus far, uh, doctor? What have you seen at your practice, you know, just in the day to day from before when this law was passed to now? I mean, you know, a large part of my practice was providing abortion care in Texas prior to September 1st. So that has pretty much completely stopped for me. I have not been able to provide in Texas at all since this law went into effect. And I mean, I take care of people for abortion care in the outpatient setting. So what you would think of as a typical abortion clinic. But I also take care of people who are pregnant with very wanted pregnancies that then face some serious medical complications, either with the diagnosis of the pregnancy itself, the fetus, or they develop a serious health problem. So I also specialize in providing abortion care for people that are critically ill in pregnancy. And so that has also stopped the ability to take care of people with pregnancy complications. So I have been traveling out of state. I've been going to Oklahoma to provide care for Texans, for Oklahomans and for Texans that are traveling to Oklahoma. I just got back yesterday from a few days there providing care. And now I'm doing a, a lot of stuff like this, talking so, about abortion. But if they're not getting the abortions in Texas, where are people going? And how are they able to pay for these? Because this is this is also an issue. This is also a poverty issue to a degree. It's a poverty issue. It's a race issue. It's a white supremacy issue. It's a, all, of the, all of those things issues. Everywhere across the country is seeing patients um, fleeing from Texas to get care. And that's the people that can. We have some great organizations in our state that are really working nonstop to raise funds and essentially transfer those funds directly to people. So groups like Fund Texas Choice are funding airfare, 
gas, childcare, food, hotel to, for people to get out of state. Mm-hmm. Groups like Texas Equal Access Fund are funding the cost of the abortion or near total cost of the abortion. Tons of abortion funds in our states. So, but it's a you know this is a human rights issue. This isn't you shouldn't have to pool everyone's resources to get medical care. It's an you know an abomination. Can I ask you a question, Doctor? I'm yeah. wondering what it feels like to have Governor Greg Abbott kind of in the room with you, essentially, when you're with a patient, like deciding how you care for somebody who has certain medical needs. And you're the expert who can address those, but there's a political voice in that room. It's um, infuriating, and it's not new. That's It's not a new thing with SB8. This has been a problem in Texas for a couple decades now. So Texas has really been the blueprint state for testing abortion restrictions and exporting them to other states. So I have been working in abortion care here for about 17 years prior to even becoming a doctor. And every single legislative session, there's a new ban and just a little bit more chipped away, a little bit more chipped away. So even before this, I had to sit in the room and give patients information, a booklet with lies in it, like medically inaccurate information, medically inaccurate pictures that politicians came up with. And even before this law, Mm. I had to tell them about the risk of breast cancer, which there isn't, right? But I'm required by the state to talk about breast cancer and abortion, required by the state to talk about infertility and abortion in ways that are dishonest and and untruthful. And so it creates confusion, right? Because I have to tell patients, the state wants me to tell you that abortion causes breast cancer. I would like to tell you that the World Health Organization, the American Cancer Society, all OBGYNs in this country and anyone who understands science disagrees with them. But Governor Abbott wants you to know that abortion causes breast cancer. So it's been a shit show for a while. And this is just, you know, the terrible cherry. So let's stay right there with that word shit show. Allison, our job is to try and figure out a way to make some of this shit funny, which... There are instances where the time and distance from the thing to now, there's not enough space yet to figure out the funny. But even if we decide, like another great example of something that broke while we were off the air was George Floyd. We weren't on the air when that happened. And then when we came back to air, it was not funny. The show was inherently not funny by intention for a couple of days. It was informative, it was inspiring, it was reassuring. So even even if we step outside the confines of trying to be a comedy program for an episode, we're still only a 30, 40 minute program. Of the shit show, how do you choose which turds to showcase? (laughs) It's all about finding what's in the realm of funny and usually, in these cases, it's finding what's the most absurd. Like, you're not so much, you kind of know, okay, this story is definitely not going to be funny. Like, as a producer on the show, what, I watched so many documentaries about what happened to women before Roe v. Wade, and I was, like, I was actually, like, weeping in my at my computer. I mean, it was horrible. And I was like, what show do I work on? Like, why am I crying at my desk watching documentaries yeah. about this? But... um I think it's about finding that absurdity. And in this case, what we kind of jumped off with was the Uber driver thing. So there was a reporter. I'm in the kind of department looking for sound bites. And so there was a reporter who was standing outside a Planned Parenthood clinic. I think it was in Houston. And she said, I was trying to get an Uber just to do this live shot all morning. We're here at a Planned Parenthood clinic. I had to get here this morning from my hotel. I tried Uber. I tried Lyft. The ride was canceled three times. Finally, I changed it to the address instead of Planned Parenthood, and I was able to get a ride. But that just shows you the fear that this is spurring and the impact of this law. That seemed like, to me the most natural avenue for jokes because we're not necessarily going to be able to make jokes about so many of the other dire, depressing circumstances. Correct. So, Dr. Moyeti, I have to ask this question. Give me your journey to now, knowing the difficulties ahead of you, number one, even, even before this law, to be this type of medical services provider to women, there were hurdles 
There were a lot of issues. Yeah. I'm from Birmingham. There was um there was a bombing at an abortion clinic yeah. at Birmingham in, the, yeah. in Birmingham in the nineties. Why did you go into this line of care? It's always been dangerous, and now the politicians aren't even on your side. Before it was just the church. Now it's the church and the government even more so. Yeah. Um. You know, I think it's a lot of things that that brought me here. Um. I kind of joke that I accidentally became an abortion provider. Like I accidentally kind of started working at an abortion clinic. Um, <laughs> like, whoops. Yeah. Oh, I'm here now. Oh, this is awesome. So Sounds like I, that mean, time I was a strip club janitor for three days. True story. That's a separate podcast. That's exactly. Um, so after I graduated from college, I started working at an abortion clinic and I kind of just like, the veil was lifted to some extent. I didn't realize, like I knew what abortion was, but most people don't talk about abortion in their daily life. No one like says abortion daily, usually unless you're me um, or other people like me. So it wasn't something I'd ever really had to think about other than friends or family that had needed abortions and knowing like if and when I need one, I'm going to get one. But um, working at the clinic, I realized a couple things. One that like, here is a place where science, which I was a huge nerd and science nerd and really enjoyed, like this is science, this is medicine, this is cool. And it's politics and history and social stuff. And so that was really cool too. And the same people that are protesting outside that hate us in here were like the people that hated me growing up. I'm Iranian, I'm a child of immigrants. I grew up in, outside of Houston in an all white community. and um, like, I didn't have the words for it, but it was like, this is all the same shit that's been pissing me off from, like, day one. You grew up in that first wave Desert Storm, Operation Desert Shield yes. right. patriotism. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Iraq War, Desert yeah. Storm, and Not Without My Daughter. Yes, 9-11. Um, so I had a connection between those things. And... Um, I also saw that there were very few physicians that were providing care. It was actually mostly white men and that the people we were taking care of weren't really white men. And so they more looked like me <laughs> and that there was a gap in care as well. And so that's really like I had a passion for like being a woman of color and taking care of other people of color and um, also to like poke the bear like fuck y'all okay so then to that poking the bear <laughs> are you ever concerned about the bear biting back because sometimes at these clinics it's it's not an just the walk from your car to the front door is yeah not something to take for granted so are you ever no. are you ever scared or concerned for your safety yeah i mean i would be naive to say like nah it's totally cool it's totally fine no, like I take safety measures. I, you know, before we started recording, I made sure there wasn't a picture of my kid, that there wasn't anything here that someone could zoom in and figure out. And, you know, it's not this dire, but I've watched a lot of CSI and I'm like, if they can see out the window, will they know the right time of day and they can geolocate me to my house, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, but I take a, a lot of safety measures. I have vicious dogs. And if anyone asks, they're really, really vicious. Um, I mean, you know. also, you're in Texas. I heard, like, guns are free with an eight-gallon purchase down there. Right, exactly. You just... Yeah, you can supersize it um, at the drive-thru. So like add an AR-15 <laughs> to my car. Right, right. Um, you can't, like, get a good education, but you can get three guns. Um, so, um, but... You know, I also like, let's be real. It has never been like super safe to be like the child of immigrants um, in all white communities in the South or, you know, a black person in the South or a black person anywhere. Um, you know, like there are outward things about me and many people that make it unsafe to live. And this is like another thing. And it's the same, the same oppressors. What about the stereotype that, well, I'm from Alabama, so we bathe ourselves in stereotypes. We yeah, marinate them in you. gravy, yes. and mm. it's slow cook. It comes out that <laughs> crock pot nice. What do you wear 
like walking into here's where racism saves me yeah what do you wear walking into work do you try to like not look doctory or do you well, wear yeah. your doctor jacket like how does it, okay how okay how does racism save you do i look doctory if you saw me were you like that bitch is a doctor well, that bitch is operating that bitch is a doctor. No, you wouldn't say that at all. This is where racism saves me. This is where sexism saves me. I'm the janitor. I am, you know, like I don't wear my scrubs in. And um, I mean, now they all know, right? I've been yeah. out in these streets on these cameras. But um, for the most part, <clears throat> usually they don't know. But um, yeah, I don't wear my scrubs in. I try not to enter where the protesters will be. If I have to bring my kid to work, um, you know, I have my kid cover his face. It's a funny game, but it's really like a disturbing, funny game. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted to, if you really wanted to sell it, you could just have a, a mop and a vacuum cleaner that you just take <laughs> in with you every day. <laughs> I'm not saying lean into racism, <laughs> but maybe give the kid a broom and then go, oh, <laughs> it's the cleaning lady and her apprentice. Uh, we're just here to clean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how you stand there and listen to them and not get so enraged because there are, when I'm walking in New York, there's a couple of anti-abortion protesters down in Soho on Mulberry Street. They're outside the Planned Parenthood. And I've I've wanted to scream at them. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think my, my husband did scream at them. And I was like, you know, I know, like you think that makes a difference, but it doesn't. But I, it must be so impossible to day in, day out, be hearing the real life stories and how hard it is for women to make these decisions. And then for these people who perhaps they have legitimate religious grievance, whatever it is, they seem to me to be uh, very condescending and angry um, and just not understanding of how hard these decisions are for women. It's not as if we just are doing it just to do it, just to have a Thursday abortion. If you want a Thursday abortion, that's okay though. That's cool too. Like Right. That's <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. That's true. People get it for all reasons. So there's no need to focus yeah. on any particular yes. but it yeah. is no matter yeah. who you are, it is a decision that you either internally or externally, you know, have to cope with, whether you struggle yeah. with it or not. You know, even though I said like, oh I love to poke the bear, like the other thing we say is like don't feed the protesters. Um, like that—that's what they're there for. They're living for that. Um, they don't have anything else to do. That's what they're there to do. They're just like professional trolls. And for me, like my job is not to hang out with them. I actually might have to take care of some of them and have taken care of some of them. Right? Like protesters Ooh. need abortions too. My job is taking care of the people in the clinic and being there for them and being in the headspace. So I usually just try and ignore them and make sure I'm not like running over them. Um, and one time I like just rolled down my window and mouthed, <laughs> um, and that felt good that one day, but then the next time he was recording me as I came by. So I was just like, cool, yes. bless your heart. Um, but I play like <laughs> rage against the machine or nine inch nails really loud as I'm driving by or Depeche mode. And then I go in the clinic and take care of people and then, you know, rage about them at home. But. I have to not have them in my mind when I'm caring for folks. I sometimes I see the footage in front of these abortion clinics, and my first thought is, are all the pro-choice people at work? Where's the backup? <laughs> you know, I think, or they have the same approach as you. Just don't. Yeah, go we ask you. them. We actually will usually ask people not to come unless they're really wilding, and we need like help escorting people in. Um, they're, they want the fight. And so pro-choice people, pro-abortion people showing up will make more of them come. They're like, yeehaw, we got something to do. And then like the last thing we need is a fight out. We don't need a fight outside the clinic. I just need to take care of folks. And they do crazy. I mean, they could do crazy shit. There's a guy that yells like he's a fetus in an abortion. And like, you can hear it when I'm providing abortion care. And we just like have to turn up the like, uh, who was that that artist? Was it like uh, Enya? Like we have to like turn up the Enya so it oh it God. drowns him out. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what's worse, the Enya or <laughs> the man in the parking lot. After the break, I want to talk a little bit um, with you ladies just about some of the misconceptions about abortion. You spoke earlier about some of the 
the stupid disclaimers that you have to read off like a pre-flight seatbelt announcement yes. that the governor makes you do. Let's get into some of the misconceptions about abortion after the break. This is Beyond the Scenes. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Dr. Moyeti, what are the misconceptions about abortion that you wish people were, I don't know, like more informed on? Like, you know, everybody, if you do it, then this will happen. And yeah. if you're doing abortion after this, then the boogeyman, and then your eye, and then you get cataracts. <laughs> like, there's so many different, and as we all know, America loves to agree on science. Right. <laughs> What are what are some of the misconceptions about the procedures that the general public has bought into for one reason or another? Yeah, I think the biggest one is that abortion is dangerous, certainly, and that it can cause any number of serious side effects. I think infertility is probably the most common side effect that people are concerned about. And it is true that prior to 1973 that unsafe illegal abortions could lead to infertility. And that was a result of unskilled people doing procedures in people's bodies as a result of infections that people didn't get treated for because it was illegal. So they didn't want to seek care. Um, and it was a result of heavy bleeding either during procedures by unskilled people or just heavy bleeding afterwards that people wouldn't get get care for because they were afraid. And those things, those infections and heavy bleeding or injuries, if they're not treated, then they can result in infertility. And so that certainly was the case prior to 1973 and is not the case anymore. Um, something I think is surprising that I tell people about is just being pregnant is a risk for infertility. So any time that you're pregnant, you become at risk for having heavy bleeding and a hemorrhage. And if that is uncontrolled, that can lead to a hysterectomy and infertility. So pregnancy in and of itself is a risk, but abortion is not an extra risk for infertility. People think they're going to die from abortion. And again, that was true before 1973. That remains true in countries where abortion is illegal and people aren't able to obtain pills or services in any way. But, you know, in one hospital in New York, or maybe even two hospitals in New York, there will be more people that die from childbirth in a year than in the whole country from abortion in a year. So just to put it in perspective. That's what's so fucked up about forcing people to stay pre right. pregnant, right? Like, A, I hate when people call it pro-life because everyone's pro-life. That's dumb. But B, because it's really forced pregnancy. You're right. pro-forced pregnancy. And yeah. I was reading that actually, um, you know, women are 14 times more likely to die during or after giving birth than they are right. getting an abortion. And yes. so if it's really about safety and health, I mean, we all know that's not true. 
Exactly. But and it lays it's not bare, like, it lays bare whose life they care about. Exactly. They care about the life that's actually not a full life in the way that yeah. the woman's life is. They yeah. Care. Well, and, you know, why do they care about embryos so much? Why do they care about fetuses so much? Because they don't care about, like, children that much. It's because fetuses are are can be perfect, right? They don't have any complexity. They can't say anything that pisses you off. They can't get Medicaid. They can't vote against you. Like, they just are chilling, doing nothing. And so it's easy to be like, you're a hero, little fetus, and we love you. Um, right? It <laughs> yeah. can't make you mad. Yeah. Where do you think the perception comes from in our society that most of the women who are getting abortions are just women that are scared of being a mom? And that they're just trying to erase some mistake from a one from a one night stand or something that they don't want to live with the rest of them. Where did that perception, where do you think that perception came from and what's the reality of it? I don't know where it came from, but we kind of dealt with this in the piece in that there was a joke about it. It was the, you know, it was a joke about this Uber takes you to the barbecue restaurant next to a Planned Parenthood clinic. And the joke was the chef's like, get your fryers ready. We got someone coming. And then they're like, oh, shit. No, she just wasn't ready to be a mom. Women can't even get an Uber to the abortion clinic. That is insane and so horrible. And it must be pretty upsetting for the restaurant next door that all the women are pretending to get rides to. Yeehaw! Slice the cornbread, boys. We got someone coming in for some barbecue. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. She just isn't ready to be a mommy. False alarm. That was really funny. (laughs) It was a really funny joke, and I was reading the script, and I was like, damn, that is a really funny joke, but actually 59% of women who get abortions are already mothers. And, you know, you hate to be the producer that's like, wah, wah, about it. So basically, like, my rule of thumb is just if the joke is really funny, I just ignore, like, the reality. (laughs) And that was kind of the case in this. But I think, like, to that point, I think the media fuels that misperception quite a lot. It, whether whether yeah. it's the news, I, less so. But I think anytime you watch a Lifetime movie, yeah. anytime you watch a Hollywood movie, I mean, it really, you're not, no one's ever seeing someone who already has three kids get an abortion on camera, ever. Yeah, the, most people get abortion, that get abortions are already parenting in some way. Um, I think it also is partly because conversations around abortion, they always seem to go to like these extremes, right? Like it's okay if it, it, we feel more okay with it. If it's just like, this is a kid that's just not ready to be a mom. It becomes a lot more sticky and complicated if it's someone that is already parenting because somehow like they're ready to be more mommy than, than they were momming before. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's not so cut and dry then when we're getting into the nuances. Can I also just say, I produced this piece while I had a nine month old son at home and Nothing makes you more pro-choice than having yes. than being pregnant and having a baby. Yeah, you yeah. are like if you did not want this, let alone if you were physically abused, raped, you know, in, a victim of incest. This is not something that anyone should be forced to do. It's really hard and it drives you insane. Amongst men in our circles, the only time you hear about abortion coming up is when it is the one night stand or it is the. Well, I thought about it and I don't want to be together. So so the only abortions you hear about are the ones that lie in that 40 percent. And even in that, the way the conversation is postured amongst men, it's, well, I told her that I'm not going to be there. So she better go and take care of that. It's almost this threat, which adds a sense of shame, which explains why women don't talk to us about all the other reasons within the profile of why you get an abortion. So- those people have grown up to become elected officials. Those people right. have grown up to become protesters. Those people have grown up to be the ones yelling outside, making fetus sounds like a moron. I wish you could just shoot them with a paintball gun. Like, not hurt them or nothing. But <laughs> not you know, hurt. A, I'm, not, just, <laughs> I'm not shooting anyone. <laughs> just hard shell paint. But right, I don't know right. if you've ever been hit yeah. with a paint paintball. It's a good bruise. A solid lesson learned. It looks painful. It looks painful. <laughs> I don't think I could recover from that, honestly. I think yeah. I'd have from dreams getting... like from a paintball attack. Yeah. yeah. 
I was going to say another huge misconception that I noted in or that I noticed while doing this piece was, you know, Greg Abbott. So there's no exceptions for rape and incest, which is just so fucking cruel. It's unbelievable. Um, But, you know, Greg Abbott has been pressed on this quite a lot of like really no exceptions for rape. What? And his his answer, his serious answer is that he's the way to solve this is he's going to eliminate rapists. Yeah, he's going to just, you know, poof, gone. Texas will work tirelessly to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and uh, arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the street. He's been holding on to the secret. I know. And so that's just the fact that, like, those are the people that is the highest official in the state of Texas. And that's his solution It's just so unbelievable. Why do you think that these people that are so pro life, are they pro education? Are they pro child services as well? I mean, they're pro white supremacy. That's what they're pro. So whatever, you know, they're pro education that promotes white supremacy. They're pro health that upholds white supremacy. Um, you know, the trolls that have been coming out against me as I've been like testifying to Congress or, you know, advocating for my community and different news outlets, they also are coming after me for vaccinating my child. Someone said I had medically enslaved my child. Like, right. So they're the, yeah. Their arguments just have so many holes in them. Like you could take the whole vaccine mandate thing yeah. they're very opposed to that that takes their freedom they're they are actually holding signs that say my body my choice and like without any irony right with yeah. no irony and so i don't know it's so the hypocrisy is something like we couldn't even hit in this piece because it's like almost yeah. too easy at this point i almost think it's pointless right like you're not going to be able to convince them, right? There is actually no logic because they clearly don't use it. And so I think it's more important actually to focus on people in the middle and make sure they're not doing the shady shit too, um, because at least you can use logic with those people. If someone's saying that a vaccine against a global pandemic that's killed almost a million people in the U.S. is child enslavement, um, like what else do I have to say to them? Cool. I'll see you in the ICU. I'll still take care of you, dummy. You know, so do you think the fight for changing the perceptions on this issue lie in the youth and the new wave of people and not in these zealots who have already bought into it and they are going to ignore statistics on how it affects communities of color the hardest? They're going to ignore statistics on how women who are denied abortions have worse mental health problems than women who right. get them. They're going to deny all of that. So you figure, hey, there's no more talking to you. Let's just figure out ways for with the people who are younger and more progressive. Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually, you know, I really love Lil Nas X, and I've been thinking about in that song where he's like, "You were never really rooting for me anyway." Like they never cared about us anyway. Like they don't care about trans people. They don't care about people of color. They don't care about black folks. So if I'm talking about this hurts women, this hurts black folks, this hurts immigrants, this hurts queer people. Well, I mean, that's like, those are all check marks for them on the list, right? So um, yeah, we need to focus on people uh, that um, actually care about this issue, centering their needs and values and centering the people that are most affected and leading with our values. I think the most important change that needs to happen with this debate is that men need to be just as loud as women. Because I'm like a little sick of talking about abortion. Make, you know, it's so important, but at, at a certain point you you get tired by it, you know? Yeah. You're like, why do I have to talk about my period and when it when my pregnancy starts and like why is that even in the public yeah. space? And I feel like men are very touched, equally touched by this issue yeah. in some ways and there's a lot of silence. Yeah, there's a lot of silence and I understand it because it's less comfortable for you guys. Yeah, but we need you. So go to the rallies, donate the money, be loud. Talk, talk about it with your friends as well. Like, I think that's that's the key. Talk about it. Right. And, you know, um, 
we don't talk to even our kids about how to talk about abortion, right? Like we might yeah. talk to our daughters or our kids that can become pregnant about abortion in the sense of like, don't you get pregnant? And if you do call auntie, right? But um, we don't talk to our sons or our children that can get other people pregnant about like what their feelings are about parenthood, about when they want to be parents um, and what they think about abortion. Right. And I think a key to getting men involved is just the notion of the fact that it, if you believe that men and women should be equal, then this right has to exist because without it, women don't finish education. They do not have the same economic opportunities. They cannot participate in society the way that men do. So if you're for equality, then you're for access to abortion. Before we go to the break, um, and answer this in any way you want, but, it wasn't until 45. I don't say his name. I just call him old yeah, 45. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes him sound kind of like classic, though. Yeah, cool. like a Colt 45. Yeah. Or a... <laughs> well, Colt 45 would get you drunk and probably get you sent to jail. So they're not a sponsor. Maybe, we can t- no. <laughs> oh, wait, you're thinking Billy D. Williams Colt 45. No, no. I'm thinking Colt 45 now with no celebrity sponsorship. Right, right. <laughs> When we talk about an abortion ban, I feel like we're also talking about societal forces like women's the women's role in society and, you know, race and equity issues, mental health. It's poverty. Yeah. It's a healthcare issue. Like everything else that's going on in the country is all baked into this casserole. Yeah. What do you think this says about America as a whole? Because we love to say we've had an awakening and a breakthrough and we are a new country and we now care. We had a women's march. We wore vagina hats. How did this Like, What do you think this the passing of this law says about our country? Oh, we still got a long way to go. No, we clapped for you. Remember? Uh. <laughs> we clapped for Every you day. at seven o'clock. Yep. I clapped for you. Chuck, the, the, the Grubhub dude, you, you know, I, I clap for the heroes, you know? Right, right. We're back open, so fuck you. Yeah, yeah, fuck, fuck me is right. <laughs> I, I, I do think we definitely have a long way to go. Allison, what about you? I mean, it's so many things, but I think it's mainly that we're very uncomfortable with sex in this country and that we're not educated. And that we are used to restricting women, especially poor women and women of color. And we're comfortable with that. Like, we're comfortable restricting the rights of those people. It doesn't make us uncomfortable. It doesn't make us scream, no, they're losing their freedom, blah, 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 blah. We are used to it. And, yeah, it's just – and I think people just do not know what pre-Roe was like. You know, most people weren't around. During yeah. that time. I mean, I guess there's a lot of old people. It wasn't that long ago. But no, people people were around. People but yeah, were around, but, but, yeah. and, and, but also, like, I hate this kind of it's idea. It's willful ignorance to some extent. It is, yeah. And I think when a white politician or anyone really who's white thinks about a, a daughter of theirs or a friend who need to get an abortion, there's always a kind of excuse or, oh, they well, they just got into college or they're, oh, they've got such a bright future ahead of them. But when it's a black woman or Hispanic woman and she's already a mom, it's, oh, they were irresponsible and they were, or, oh, they should have, you know, been more careful. Right. Right. And actually federal funds aren't even allowed for poor women to get abortion. So it's like, we've already whittled down this right for poor women so that they have to pay out of pocket for these things. Whereas wealthy women who are covered by insurance do not. So I think it's, it's largely about how comfortable we are restricting the rights of the poor people and women in this country. Yeah. And I think, I mean, our country has yet to have any sort of racial reckoning, honestly, right? That we have not actually confronted colonialism. We have not confronted genocide. We haven't confronted our history of that. And abortion restrictions are part of a long legacy of reproductive coercion and control and specifically against communities of color. Like this controlling the bodies of black women was central to enslavement um, stealing children and suppressing birth in Indian communities was central to the genocide of Native Americans. 
This is how we have maneuvered in this country. And that's why there are good abortions and bad abortions, too, that are along racial lines as well. Right. We want to protect and keep more beautiful white babies coming. And we want to villainize racialized birth to some extent. Right. After the break, I want to talk about, you know, the things that we can do to try and engage this topic better. You know, especially men I, I, that we, we, we've we already scratched the surface a little bit, but I want to go a little bit deeper on, on ways that we can keep people receptive, not only to normalizing the conversation around reproductive health, but also on the political side. If there's a different way we can try and send the message to people so that they can understand just how serious of an issue this is, because mm-hmm. I feel like Texas is not. Texas could be an anomaly or it could be the beginning of a new trend. So I want to I want to talk about that after the break. This is beyond the scenes. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And love was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. As we bring it home, and I've I've learned a lot just as, as a man in this, in this conversation. And while you all have been talking, I've literally in my head just been thinking, wow, I'm, I'm sure... Plenty of women in my life have had yeah. what, this procedure. It's never come up. It's something that's yeah. rarely ever discussed. And then I start reconciling every conversation I've had with a dude about it. And it's always from a grouchy, man, shit, I got to go get $300. And it's it's a hassle. Like it's never seen as something that, wow, this happened. And I'm going to talk about this with grace. I'm going to do this. In a more tasteful way, Doc, what what are some ways that we can start in this country talking about abortion in ways that take the stigma off of it, especially because I know a lot of this also starts, you know, at home with parents to child as well. Yeah. I mean, I think step one is just like say the word abortion and don't dance around it. Um, So many people like to use euphemisms like reproductive services. We're going to get a termination. Like just say the word abortion and that helps to, to begin to destigmatize it. But, but yeah, just talking to folks, one in four women of reproductive age will have at least one abortion in their lifetime in the U S many people who've had one abortion will have more than one abortion. Everybody loves somebody who's had an abortion. That's something that Renee Bracey Sherman says, and it's very true. I'm actually, Roy, I'm really surprised. I talk about abortion so much, and I've never thought about what men talk about when they talk about abortion. That's the first time I've ever thought about that. I didn't think there was something I hadn't thought about. I didn't even think they talked about it. No, it's just a story you tell your friend. And even then, you don't talk about it in the moment. It's some... Four or five years later after the fact, oh, yeah, man, I had to pay for one of them one time. I think she was lying, too. Just trying to get me for my $300. 
I have seen a lot of that kind of foolishness. Like, I need to bring a receipt and show him because he needs me to prove how much it was. I see a lot of that shit. Yeah, you really, yeah, it's a good thing you're doing. Or men like force themselves into coming into the ultrasound because they want to. I do see a lot of that shit. A lot. Y'all stop doing that. That ain't right. Nobody. Nobody needs that on their No, I'm day. here to be here with her for support. How much is that going to be, Doc? I need to right. know right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, it, it, we don't mean this, like, just as a talking point either, but it's not just women that have abortions. Like, abortion affects the queer community as well. Trans people have abortions. Men have abortions. And so when we really start to understand that all people are involved in abortions, that this is not just like a women's issue. I think it also helps to kind of remove it from the silo, right? The abortion helps everyone. It doesn't just help this one group of people. Right. Um, and we all need access to it. Well, it's all, it's also an economic issue. It's not just about abortion. I mean, when you look at what happens to women who are denied abortion care, it's an economic right. issue. Uh, when you look at how to pay for it. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's tough no matter how you cut it. Like, I like what you had to say about let's just call it abortion. Like, let's just call it what it is. And also, when we're talking about abortion, I like to hear facts. But I also, I don't like, a lot of times when you're talking about abortion, there's a focus, or at least on certain laws, about like, well, this is for women. They wanted the baby, and then they, you know, the baby had some sort of defect, and they got an abortion. I I think that confuses the conversation because it's not about a specific need. It's not about this teenager or this mom of three Mm -hmm. or that it's it's societally. What does having access to an abortion mean? Yeah. And also, like strictly facts, if you're anti-abortion, just as many abortions happened per year before Roe v. Wade as they do now. So if you are just anti-abortions happening, that doesn't making it legal or illegal does not change a thing. It just makes it really dangerous for the woman. How do we talk to our opponents about that, Doc? Like, how do you? Yeah. Do we get them? Do you frame it more in those in those more social buckets, or do we focus strictly on the angles that everybody that everybody seems to be attacking now? You know. I try not to engage too much in the like very public engaging with opponents and more on the personal engaging with opponents, right? Because in the public sphere, it's really about like sound bites and a tit for tat and like someone winning. But really what this is about is just connecting with someone on a human level and just being like, this is a real other person here with a real whole ass life and real whole ass problems. And I think it becomes easier to empathize with people in that way, sadly, right? That many people lack the social skills to care about others, but it's harder to do that on a one-on-one. So, I mean, I've had many students that I've taught that were very like anti-abortion at the beginning. And after like getting to know me, right? That I'm not the boogeyman as like an evil abortion doctor, but also once they start to really one-on-one talk with patients and understand what people are going through, that's when their minds start to unravel. You gotta isolate them, break them right? down one by one. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, you do abortions, you have researched abortions to no end and have watched all of the footage. You have seen all of the footage in real life happen to you. Is there any, can you give me any reasons for optimism on this issue? I don't want to end this podcast. On no, the, on I mean, the, is there I think any we good should news be happening. I, I think the good news is that like people fucking support abortion. Like that's the reality, right? That people do actually support abortion. Everyone fucking needs an abortion. And actually, when it comes down to it, people support it. That is also what the polling shows in Texas. I'm not a polling person. I just know to say that the polling also shows that in Texas. (laughs) So that's what they say. But I don't know. Everyone I see really needs an abortion still. And they all have family members. And they all, you know what I mean? Like, there's not, it's not three people I'm seeing. It's all of y'all I'm taking care of. So the reality is that we are bigger numbers than them. Um, and we just need to like get our shit together and like 
be a little bit more, more extra than them, I think. Maybe if we scared the shit out of them, like the most extreme to the left, that we could compromise more in the middle of a like sensical middle. Because I think like, right, they say that like, if you get an abortion, you should get the death penalty. Well, then it becomes easier to compromise. Well, like, okay, a 15 week ban doesn't seem as bad if we're talking death penalty. So maybe we should say something crazy. Um, I don't know. Only thing beat crazy is crazy. I always I always had a theory <laughs> that part of why Hillary lost is because Trump ran on building a wall and Hillary should have just said, my wall will have missiles. <laughs> and she would have won. I mean, right? It's just right? why? The truth right? doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Allison, the rules don't matter, it turns out, either, right? No, look Allison, at the Supreme Court. Right? <laughs> Why are we playing true. then? Let's just do let's let's do what everyone wants yeah. to do instead of being like, oh please, can we have human rights? Like let's okay. I think we yeah. can take them. I think the only good thing is, I will say, I think the good positive thing is that I do think young people are very politically engaged right now. I do think young women know and care about what's going on in Texas. And another good thing that's come out of Roe is that more women are educated. More women are, you know, have much more power in society than they did after, when, when Roe was codified into law. But I also think, like, what I want to have faith in is that we don't need to outsource our rights to the Supreme Court, which is composed right. of nine people. What what needs to happen, and there are there are bills in Congress to make Roe law. Like I want I need that yeah. to happen. Yeah. Um, because this whole like, oh no, we're waiting for the court to overturn Roe. Like we have another branch of government. Congress. They are called <laughs> lawmakers. What, we what don't do have to do? wait. We don't have to wait mm -hmm. for the laws. To be dictated by the court. <laughs> There's others? They do what now? <laughs> right. And they can't even, like, yeah. So that's where I want to have optimism. Yeah. <laughs> what, can, what can people do to help, Doc? What, what, can, what can the general layman do? Other yeah. Other than show up to your clinic and punch this idiot that's making <laughs> the fetus sound. I do not like this person. No, right? Oh, God, that guy. That guy sucks. Um, you know, talk about abortion. Get involved in abortion in your local community. I think, you know, you being from Birmingham, I'm from Texas, like white supremacy, patriarchy, that's not a Southern thing. That's a whole U.S. thing. Um, so it's not just a Southern problem. This isn't a Texas problem. Just because you're in New York or California or Washington doesn't mean that those issues aren't in your community as well. Also, the anti-abortion movement, they don't have a um, red state plan. They have a 50-state, multi-decade plan, right? So they're not just focused here. They're focused in all your homes, too. And so, and, and they start at the local level, right? The, the architects of SB8 started with sanctuary city for the unborn ordinances in local communities in Texas. That's what they started with. And then they got to this. And that's coming for all y'all's homes, too. So get involved in local politics. Donate to abortion funds, abortion funds in Texas, abortion funds in your own state. That's who is getting getting folks to care, helping pay for care. Um, and I don't know. Um, vote. Vote. I think that's plenty for now. That's enough to get them started. Say abortion. I'm like, I don't, you need, I got a list. What do you <laughs> Look, we can keep going on all day about this, but that is unfortunately all the time we have for today. Uh, Dr. Gazala Moyeti and Daily Show senior producer Allison McDonald, thank you both so much for bringing this issue to the show. Next week, though, I'm going to be honest with y'all, I'm going to have to tackle something a little lighter. Like, we don't have to talk about why McDonald's ice cream machine broken or why does the McDouble only have one slice of cheese, but the double cheeseburger has two slices. Anyway, we'll, we'll tackle those issues later. This has been Beyond the Scenes. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to go even further beyond the scenes? Check out the video version of Beyond the Scenes on The Daily Show's YouTube page. Hold up. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.